0: I'm at the Auto Show, standing in the Cadillac stand, because today's Auto Line is all about the special relationship between the Cadillac brand and African American men. And joining us for that discussion are John Steele Gordon, a business and economics historian who uncovered the fact that African American men actually saved Cadillac during the Great Depression. We also have Bill Gaskins, a historian and photographer working on a book called The Cadillac Chronicles, which chronicles the special relationship between black men and their Cadillacs. And we also have Johnny Bassett, a longtime blues musician from the city of Detroit, who's owned many a Cadillac in his day.
1: See, you got the blues, but I've got them in my Fleetwood Cadillac too.
0: So let's go to that discussion right now that we shot at the Outer Studio. Thank you for joining us in the studio for what I think is going to be a fascinating discussion here. But John Steele Gordon, let me start with you. You stumbled across somewhere along the way that it was actually African-American men who saved Cadillac. Give us a little bit of that background.
2: Right. Well, Cadillac started in 1903 and was always a very high-end automobile. It was soon acquired by General Motors. And it was, you know, 1921, 22. a Cadillac cost you about $5,500, which in 1922 was a whole lot of money. Um, and they were still made basically by hand, um, just the way they'd made automobiles before Henry Ford invented the assembly line or applied it to automobiles. Um, but they they wouldn't sell to blacks. This was, you know, Cadillac was, was General Motors' prestige automobile. Now, wait, like, this
0: was a an order from the corporation to its dealers? I'm not, not sure it was
2: ever written down, but Probably it was... Probably not, But it was... Everybody knew. Everybody knew. And so, but... Cadillacs were one of the few ways that affluent blacks in the 20s and 30s, deep in the Jim Crow era, um, could ex- ex- express their prestige. Um, and so it was the head of the service department for Cadillac was a German named Nicholas Dreystadt, um, who'd come to this country about 1910 as a young man. Um, he noticed that there were an awful lot of black um, Cadillac owners getting their cars serviced even though they couldn't buy them in the front of the the dealership. And in 1932, when Cadillac sales had declined by about 90 percent, and General Motors was um, basically deciding whether to kill the brand or suspend it until better times. And he was just, you know, the head of the service department for Cadillac. And he went—the board of directors was having a meeting. And he went and literally knocked on the door and said, I want to be heard for 10 minutes— and, you know, this is like a Monsignor knocking on the door of the Sistine Chapel while the Cardinals are electing a pope. Um, but anyway, you know, he was he, he was very confident, I guess. And he explained about, you know, what he had seen. And he says, you know, if these people are buying their cars by using white front men, they're paying some guy 500 bucks to go in there and buy me a Cadillac and then sign over so the So as title. a black
0: guy, they'd hire a white guy to go It'd, buy a Cadillac it, because— right. Otherwise, the dealer would but not Otherwise, sell
2: the, the dealer deal. wouldn't talk to him. And so the, the board of directors said, you know, okay, let's try that. And, and Dreystad also said, why are we manufacturing Cadillacs like it was 1900, you know, assembling, you know, piece by piece? I mean, why don't we put them on an assembly line and see how, if we can produce the same quality car at a much lower cost? And so that's what happened. And Cadillac sales went up 80% in the first year. Um, and costs came piling down. And so by 1937, when they were still deep in the Depression, Cadillac was General Motors' most profitable line. And so, you know, because Nicholas Drestak had noticed that a lot of pe- black people were driving Cadillacs, he said, if we go after that market, we can save the brand, which he did. Johnny Bassett,
0: you've owned uh, a number of Cadillacs. In fact, you're a musician. You've even written a song and have got a CD named Cadillac Blues. Did you have (laughs) problems buying Cadillacs? Did you run into the problem that John Steele Gordon's talking about?
1: No. uh, Fortunately, I I didn't have that problem. And uh, it was good because my family, uh, I had uh, three brother-in-law and my brother all worked for Cadillac Company. And uh, they all was driving Cadillacs. So my first one was uh, when I was uh, 21 years old, I bought my first Cadillac, which was a 1941 straight back, beautiful car. And, uh, but it wasn't the first experience because I'd ride it every, every day. My dad had a 47 uh, Cadillac, and uh, it was just in the family. He always drove Cadillacs. My dad, you know, uh, that was the car of choice, you know. It was a good car, it was a dependable car, and very comfortable, and it was a, a status cool thing, you know. You drive up in Cadillac, get recognition, <laughs> because it was, you know, standard of the world.
0: The cars had such a presence. I'm They're sure they turned every, pre- uh, every head in the neighborhood as you drove in. with. Me. Yes,
1: because uh, people knew uh, in, in the black community, if you were driving Cadillac, you must have a little money. not a lot, having a little money because you're driving a Cadillac. So, uh, that's the way it was. And it was a lot of them in the neighborhood.
0: Bill Gaskins, you've done a book where you're really sort of chronicling people who have owned Cadillacs, African American men who have, in fact, your book is called the Cadillac Chronicles. What motivated you to go out and do a book like this?
3: Well, it is a book in progress. Uh, what motivated me was several things. Um, 1999 I'm going down to visit a friend in Baltimore, Maryland and I'm listening, pardon me, I'm listening to a public service announcement on the radio announcing a Cadillac Parade in Baltimore, Maryland and it got my curiosity and said, hmm, Cadillac Parade? I need to check this out. So I contacted the Baltimore Sun, the major newspaper in Baltimore, and Talk to someone about the details of this, this event, Come to find out that during the 1970s, it was an annual ritual of black men across class to parade their Cadillacs down the longest street in Baltimore, which is Pennsylvania Avenue. Mm-hmm. And in 1999, a group of young black male Cadillac owners wanted to restore this tradition. So I went down And people were lining the streets. There was a carnival at the end of the parade. Uh, There were about 22 to 30 cars uh, being paraded. And it reminded me of the role of the Cadillac in African-American masculinity, as well as in the African-American art forms. Uh, You see Cadillac or hear Cadillac mentioned in music. You see it in poetry. You see it in literature. No one had ever made sense of this relationship between African-American men and Cadillacs. And so I decided this was the next project for me.
0: And talk a little bit of book, about your book, because uh, you've, you've split these photographs in half. Diptychs is what you call them. Right. Why did you go this route? Why, I mean, after all, you are a photographic artist, but why did you choose this way of presenting it?
3: Well, one, we live in an age of images. But these images are primarily disposable images, replaced by other disposable images. And what I wanted to do was to create a photographic work that would neither be disposable nor forgotten. Neither did I want to make uh, work that would be confused with either advertising photojournalism, or ethnography, the common ways in which African-Americans are imaged in the public sphere. So uh, I decided that uh, after realizing that the average length of these cars, and I was mainly interested in cars that were between the 40s and and the 70s, the pre-Seville period, they were averaging 19 feet and in order for me... Gigantic cars, yeah, in Yeah, words. I mean, these were nautical dimensions.
2: <laughs>
3: and so, in order for me to have an intimacy with the owners, because these cars are one thing, but the people are what's important to me in terms of the work. In order for you as a viewer to have some intimacy with the owner, I had to get closer. So I decided to split the car in half photographically. So as opposed to being 60 feet away, I was now 30 feet away. And that difference is significant between the two.
0: Uh John Steele-Gordon, let me start this question with you, but I want to get uh, the others uh, involved in this, too. You're the historian. Why the connection between African-American men and Cadillac? I mean, why not Packard? Why not Lincoln? Why Cadillac?
2: I really can't answer that. It's just, you know, some things just rise to the top, and once they get established, um, then that's that. you know, Cadillac is a word that has entered the English vocabulary. I mean, it's, we use it as a metaphor more often than we refer to the automobile. You know, we've read in the discussion about health care, we've been talking about Cadillac health plans. It just automatically means top of the line. And somehow Cadillac got that reputation, and therefore, black people who had the money um, and they were unable to express their affluence in other ways. They couldn't live in fancy neighborhoods. They couldn't go to fancy restaurants, what have you, but they could drive a fancy car and you want a fancy car? Well, the car you want is Cadillac. Johnny, do you see it that way? Why did
0: Cadillac become the standard of the world as their advertising tagline? Why why the African American men connection to it?
1: Well, the way I see it is that uh, you know it was a prestigious thing to own a Cadillac because it was considered the standard of the world and it was a uh, people looking at not only being a standard, but are dependable, or more dependable than uh, you know other cars. When you got a Cadillac, you didn't see those lining up at the service door getting service all the time. You know, it was it was a car you can depend on. It was comfortable. It's a good-looking automobile. The ride is superb. You know, and uh, that just carried throughout the community. You know, and. When you do that, uh, it's uh, something that uh, you want. You, you just want to hold on to what you enjoy. And I enjoyed Cadillac from the first time I ever rode in my dad's Cadillac, you know. Oh, man, that seat was like, it's better than sitting on a living room couch, you know. And uh, the ride, you couldn't feel the bumps and everything going down the road. And it was great. And you, you grow up with that feeling. And it's something you want as you go, you know, get all the... You know, you tried. I've tried other cars, but Cadillac was my my choice, and I'm sticking with it.
3: <laughs> I think one of the one of the other uh, factors that go into this relationship between African American men and the Cadillac, it, it was established for me through a conversation I had with Tommy Robinson, uh, who is uh, founder and president of the Nostalgic. Automobile Society of Montclair, New Jersey, and he told me something I had never thought about before he said it, but he said the relationship between African-American men and the Cadillac begins with the black chauffeur, because these men were the trusted servants to the captains of American industry.
0: And you're talking the 19s and the 1920s is is when this is happening. Correct.
3: And... um, And as well, uh, as we discussed earlier, for women of affluence who couldn't drive, black men were chauffeurs for them as well. So these men functioned as a form of marketing, soft marketing, if you would, for the automobile and enabled black men to see themselves behind the wheel of that car, but not in uniform. So it was a way of marking oneself as above the class of servant, as well as marking oneself as arriving into the middle class. And chauffeurs back then,
0: too, typically knew something about the cars, could do simple tune-ups or even heavy-duty work on it. So they would have been a great marketing message. Exactly. Because if a chauffeur tells you, this is the best car I've ever driven, boy, he's got okay. credibility on Exactly. It. But... Um, John, let me come back to you, too. Just as it was difficult for black men to be able to go buy a, a Cadillac, they had to hire a white guy to go buy it for them. Couldn't have been the easiest thing just driving around in one of those cars either back then.
2: Well, it certainly drew attention to them, um, but I imagine, you know, who knows what goes on in other people's minds. Maybe they say, well, it's the chauffeur driving home. You know, that's why he's not in uniform. I don't know. Um, But I think, of course, you know, one of the reasons for having prestige items, um, you know, if you have a Rolex, you tend to keep it down where it sort of discreetly can be seen. You know, you want to draw attention to yourself to some extent. You know, as I always thought, was that Hawaii 5.0 show where the the under the other private detective drove around in a Ferrari. I mean, police. <laughs> uh, <laughs> magnet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or magnet PI, whatever it is. Right. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, when, you're, when you're driving a, a prestige car, you expect to have people turn their heads. Mm-hmm.
3: P- well, you know, I think what's interesting and part of the, uh, the other reason I'm engaged in this project is despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of uh, black male Cadillac owners Uh, fought for the country, um, have been contributing citizens to the United States in a a myriad number of ways. The primary view of black male Cadillac owners is rather narrow and stereotyped. They're either a preacher, a pimp, or some sort of player or dandy. And I wanted to expand that Perception and challenge that perception through photographs that were driven—at least the content was driven and is driven by some aspect of the owner's story. So these are tableaus; these are stories uh, as well as portraits. So I think the one of the issues for people who are uh, non-black, is not wanting to be associated with those stereotypes, but at the same time being uh, attracted to being associated with uh, this kind of masculinity. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword in many, many ways. Johnny, you've
0: been driving Cadillacs for over half a century right now. What's been yes. your experience, especially going back to the early days?
1: Oh, man. Uh, well, for me, Being a musician, I I like the room. I can put my instruments in the the trunk and don't have to worry about them uh, being bounced up and down, bounced around and getting damaged, you know. And uh, it's the comfort thing, Uh, you know. As you get older, you want comfort, (laughs) you know, especially if you've been been behind the wheel as much as I have over the years, you know, driving from uh, across country, and you have to use your own personal car as opposed to, renting one. And even sometimes when we uh, had to rent a car, it was my choice to rent a Cadillac because of the room, you know, and that's the way it was. And I'm not going to change it. You know, they're not as big now, but I I think that the Cadillac is still made with the same precision that it was 30 years ago. You know, I mean, the the, uh, workers see that this is the standard of the world and they don't want to lose that image. You know, back when the mobsters were driving Cadillacs there was a, a a competition between the packet and the Cadillac. So you had more mobsters driving Cadillacs than you did Packets. So that carried on and the black and through the black, black uh, men watching this and they said, Well, if uh the is the standard, I want the standard. <laughs> I wanna I wanna be part of that. So, so you so. Ne- <clears throat> Pardon me, so you never you never
3: experienced any uh unusual stops by a policeman. Did you drive down south with your car in any way?
1: Uh,
3: Only once. Only once. Where did you go?
1: Florida. Florida. That's where I'm from. I'm I'm from Florida, but never had any any adverse experience to drive my Cadillacs anywhere, you know, and that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, sure is.
1: That's a good thing. So uh, that's another reason why I said, well, you know, I don't have any experience uh, with the law or anybody else because I'm driving a big Cadillac, then I'll keep driving it. <laughs> I'll keep what I have, and I'm not changing it.
0: Is the connection still there today? Do black men still aspire to Cadillac?
1: I think so. Yeah, I, I think so because uh, oh, uh, over the years, uh, when you when you set a tone for something, it's there, you know. And uh, I don't think they're going to change it.
3: Well, honestly, in my neighborhood, well, according to the sales figures, is the case. And I think the the El Dorado. Uh, and the DeVille has been replaced uh, in popularity uh, by the Escalade.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a big Cadillac brand.
3: Well, it's big, body-on-frame,
0: rear-drive, closer to the kind of cars that really brought you into the brand in the first place. In the first place, But what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, Lexus, Mercedes, BMW, Audi, does Cadillac still appeal to black men as strongly as it used to, or is it all getting diluted now with all these other Well, not the
1: younger generation. uh, I think the younger generation, uh, uh, what we call the baby boomers now, um, the appeal is not as strong, you know, but it hasn't gone away, you know. Uh, The older people that have Cadillacs, uh, after they retire, they want to keep the Cadillac and uh, either the one they've been driving all those years and Uh, It's been service uh, to them, they go get a new one, you know, just for the prestige of having a new car and sitting back and watching it out the window and say, well, you know, I'll go to the grocery store this weekend in my Cadillac, (laughs) my new Cadillac.
3: Yeah, and I think what what reinforces your point about not only the baby boomers, I think even many of the younger people, you look in uh, hip-hop and rap music, the references... are not necessarily as frequent to Cadillac. They're references to Bentleys. They're references to the Maybach. Um, Not necessarily the Cadillac. Mm -hmm. But you do have a group of people who prefer, as you said, the ride that comes through the Escalade. So they may not be stylistically the same car, but in terms of the ride, they are, in that iteration of the Cadillac, and consequently, they had that popularity with a certain group of black males. Mm-hmm. John, you've been
0: tracing uh, the whole history of it. How do you see that relationship evolving?
2: Well, I think the, um, it is, there's no question that it, that Cadillac does not have the prestige in, in among. White affluence as as it did in the 1950s. When the 1950s, that was you know the Packard had died in the late 40s, I believe, Mm -hmm. Um, and so the Cadillac was it. It was the the top of the line car. Nowadays, I think Mercedes and 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 BMW has that um, position rather than the Cadillac. But the Cadillac is a much better manufactured car today than it was not so long ago, Mm -hmm. and so it's fighting back up.
1: You know, uh, I think some of the uh, foreign manufacturers have taken a lot of their designs and their engineering from Cadillac t- to uh, manufacture their cars. And, you know, they're not going to tell you that, but I believe it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure they'll never tell you that,
0: <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you're right as well, because Cadillac uh, certainly was the standard. What, what do you make of uh, the new Cadillacs today, Not you know, aside from the Escalade, what you talked
1: well, about? Well, I think it, uh, the, I love them, but they there's just a little too light for my taste. I like a little bit. If they could add uh, maybe 3,000 more, uh, 3, more pounds to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like that a little better because my DeVille is just a little light. You know, I'm used to uh, kind of like being a little heavier, you know, uh, especially with the roads we have in Michigan. You know, it needs to be a little heavier. Yeah. But yeah. The, that's the only uh, drawback. Well, I think they, they can do to it. They make them lighter because of the gas. Fuel mileage, economy and, fuel and economy. whatnot. Yeah.
0: yeah. Bill,
3: how do you see it? You know, I'll do the... Well, again, for me, majesty is what we once associated with the Cadillac. These are, are nautical dimensions we're talking about, you know, 19, 21 feet in certain cases. And it was an experience to see this automobile turn a corner, you did not ignore that automobile. <laughs> and I think with the combination of issues around fuel economy, manufacturing um, that has become homogenized in a lot of ways in terms of styling points on automobiles, uh, it, it, it has been homogenized in ways that keep it from being majestic in the 21st century. Um, With all apologies to um, the marketing people at GM, Um, yes the ride is unique. I think the features and the appointments of the automobile are unique. But in terms of the visual experience of seeing that automobile uh, separate from all other automobiles on the road, uh, that's really no longer the case.
0: I think you just hit on a key word that I'm going to go ask Cadillac about, majestic. I think you put your your hand right on the pulse of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. But with that, we're going to have to wrap up this part of the discussion. I want to thank you all for having joined me in the studio for this.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Wasn't that a fascinating discussion? And I think it's a topic that really hasn't come up much before. And here's the kicker. Right now we're talking with Don Butler, the head of marketing for Cadillac, and Don, first off, thanks for taking the time to talk with me, but as you heard in this discussion, here's a brand that once refused to sell cars to African-Americans, and here you are running the marketing of that brand today. There's got to be significance in this for you.
4: John, I absolutely agree with you. And as the head of the brand for Cadillac, I take such a huge sense of responsibility, not only for the brand in and of itself you know the luxury icon for the automobile around the world really but i also have a huge sense of responsibility for uh, my people for my race for where we've been for where we've come and i think it's as you say quite significant that as a black man i'm helping to lead cadillac i think it's also significant that you know the reason that i'm in this position is because of the the passion the knowledge the skill the intellect that i bring to the job just so happens I'm a a black American but you know what I have a sense of pride in that as well because again even growing up and and I'm sure you you know saw it reflected in some of the stories there just the passion that's associated with this brand and the spirit that it imbues self-made self-directed kind of blazing your own trail I mean we've had to do that we've had to be unconventional in terms of our approaches and Cadillac is a brand that definitely resonates with that and it resonates with me and I'm happy to be able to lead.
0: Well, it was amazing to me that really black men saved the brand. You got a chance to do it again. (laughs) Not that you need to be saved, but boost the sales that way. You know
4: what? We are on the cusp of continued greatness for the brand. I'm so happy with the legacy and the foundation that's been laid by those that have come before me, but absolutely enthusiastic about where we'll take the brand in the future going forward.
0: Don, thanks again. Really appreciate you taking the time to say that. John, wonderful to be with you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and we'll see you again here
5: next week.